Episode 1, Boston, Massachusetts, 1642. I'll tell you all a piece of my mind. It would be greatly for the public good if it was us women who decided what to do with creatures such as this Hester Prynne. What do you think, gossips? If this hussy had stood up for judgment before us, would she get off with such a sentence as the worshipful magistrates have given her? No, no. I do not think so. But right, people say that the Reverend Master Dimsdale... Oh, that sainted man. ...that he has taken it grievously that such a foul scandal should come upon his congregation. The magistrates are too merciful. At the very least, they should have pressed a branding iron into Hester Prynne's forehead. The wicked baggage would have winced at that, I think. Aye, good wife. But what have they done instead? Made her wear a scarlet letter mm. upon her dress. Why, she can cover it up with a brooch and walk the streets as brazen as she likes. Why do we waste our breath talking of marks and brands? Aye. This woman had brought shame on us all, and she ought to die. Aye. There's a law for it in the scripture and in the statute book. Hang her, I say. We'll let the magistrates take the blame if their own wives and daughters go astray. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mercy on us, good wife. If there's no virtue in woman, save what springs from a fear of the gallows. Oh, yes. <laughs> it seems I have chosen a bad morning to come to Boston. Bad indeed, old man. I would think some great man had died, would it not for all this gossiping? There is no greatness here. Father? Father, when will we see the witch? Hush, child. She is no witch. A witch? No, stranger. That is a child's imagining. We've not caught witches in these parts for many years. But a criminal? Aye. A murderess? A murderess, yes, of a kind, but no taker of life. Uh, pardon me, I, I have lived this past year among the Indians beyond the forest, or perhaps I'm simply old and tired. I do not understand your riddles. If I speak in riddles, it is to save my own tongue from burning. Ah. The woman has murdered decency. What? She's an adulteress, sir. I think maybe you have lived too long among heathens. Boston is a Christian settlement. And what is to be done with what her? more can be done? She's already forsaken her place in heaven. Indeed, but we are among men. She is to be taken from this prison where she is born a bastard to the town square where better women may gaze upon her and know their own weakness. And after? After, she will spend one further month in the prison... Then they say she will be sent to live alone outside the town with her offspring. Mm. And she must wear the scarlet letter upon her breast. The letter A. That she might never forget her sin. Well, what of the father of this child? Surely the greatest sin was... Just now, here comes Mistress Prynne herself. Stand aside now. Stand aside.
Pearl. Hush. It is only the big world. See there, old man, what an evil woman is this Hester Prim. The scarlet letter upon her breast, that should be a mark of shame. She has fashioned it with her fancy needlework into the advertisement of a harlot. Oh. Oh. Pardon me, sir, I feel suddenly unwell. Mary, run to your mother. Did the witch do this, father? Now, child! Sit down here, old man. My wife will fetch water. Uh, I must go. You're unwell. We should bring a physician. No, no, I am a physician. That woman. Ah, I see you were a God-fearing man. The very sight of her has put you in this humor. But who... Who is the villain of the piece? Where is the father of the child? That remains a riddle. Madam Hester refuses to speak. Maybe the guilty one stands looking upon this scene, unknown to men, but forgetful that God sees him. And what of her husband? By her account, if that could be trusted. He was a man of great learning, like yourself, no doubt. Some two years ago, he sent his wife here to Boston, meaning to follow himself when his affairs were concluded. And she left to her own misguidance. Mm -hmm. Pity a man so learned as the one you speak of did not learn the ways of women in his books. If he is still alive, he would do well to come look into this mystery. Indeed. Here comes my wife, with food and water in her basket. Anne! Anne, come meet Master. Pardon me, stranger, I do not know your name. Chillingworth. Roger Chillingworth. Make way now, good people, in the King's name. Make way. Open the passage, and I promise you shall see Mistress Prynne set upon the scaffold where man, woman, and child may have fair sight of her fine apparel from now until an hour past noon. She has good skill at the needle, for sure, but did ever a woman before this brazen hussy contrive such a way of showing it? Why, what is it but to laugh in the faces of our godly magistrates? It would be a good idea to strip Madame Esther's rich gown off her dainty shoulders. Come along, Madame Hester. Come up here, where the magistrates sit, and show you a scarlet letter on the scaffold. Listen to me, Hester Prynne. I have striven with my fellow clergyman here, young Master Dimsdale, under whose preaching of the word you have been privileged to sit. I have sought to persuade this godly youth that he should deal with you here in the face of heaven and the hearing of all these people upon the matter of your vile sin. He knows your natural temper better than I. He could be a better judge of what arguments to use to prevail over your obstinacy in refusing to reveal the name of the man who has tempted you to this grievous fall. But he opposes me. He says it wrongs the very nature of woman to force her to lay open the secrets of her heart in the presence of so many people. Now, I sought to convince him 
that the shame was in the commission of the sin, not the showing of it. So what do you say, Brother Dimsdale? Must it still be I who deals with this poor sinner's soul? Speak to the woman, my brother. It is of great moment to her soul, and therefore to your own, in whose charge hers is. Exhort her. Confess the truth. Hester Prynne, you have heard what this good man says, and you can see the weight I am under. I charge you then for the peace of your soul to speak out the name of your fellow sinner. Do not keep silence out of mistaken pity for this man. Believe me, Hester, even if it meant he would have to step down from some high place and stand there on the scaffold beside you, that would be better for him than to hide a guilty heart all his life. What can your silence do for him? It merely tempts, almost compels him to add hypocrisy to his sins. Heaven has granted you an open source of shame. You may work out a triumph over the evil within you for everyone to see. But your fellow sinner, oh, Hester, you are denying him that chance. He may not have the courage to grasp the bitter wholesome cup that is now at your lips. Speak, Hester Prynne. No. Woman, you are asking too much of heaven's mercy. Call out his name. That and your repentance may yet take the scarlet letter from your breast. Never. It is too deeply branded now. And as for the father of my child, if only I could endure his agony as well as mine. Speak, woman! <gasps> Speak out and give your child a father. I will not. And my child will have to seek a heavenly father. She will never know an earthly one. Never. She will not speak. My God, the strength of a woman's heart. She will not speak. Very well, Hester Prynne. Keep your silence. Savour it now and for the next three hours upon this scaffold. Then savour it again all the days of your life. Sin, good people of Boston, is not a beast that dwells alone in a cave or some other lonely place. Good doctor, you come not a moment too soon. The woman has been like a possessed one. When did this start? The moment she was brought back here from the scaffold, I should have acted straight away and driven Satan out with the lash. Open up herself. It is fortunate indeed, Your Worship, that you should choose this day to come into Boston. <laughs> I could find no other physician to attend Mistress Prynne. <laughs> it seems your physic is powerful. 
Trust me, good jailer. You shall soon have peace in your house, and Mistress Prynne shall be more amenable to authority. Now, please, leave me alone with my patient. Your worship. Sit up on your bed, woman. I need some little space to mix a potion for this child. My old studies in alchemy and the past year I have spent among the Indians have made a better physician of me than many who claim a medical degree. Here, the child is none of mine. You must give her this. Would you do that? Avenge yourself on an innocent babe? Do not be a fool. What would that profit me? If this child were our own, I could not give it better medicine. Here! No! Then I must do it. Good. Now I must mix a different recipe for you. I've learned many new secrets in the wilderness. This one cannot soothe you as well as a sinless conscience, but it will calm your passion. Drink it. I have thought of death, wished for it, would even have prayed for it were it fit that I should be allowed to pray for anything. But if death is now in this cup, I ask you to think again before you watch me drink it. Look. I am about to... Drink, then. Oh, did you know me so little, Hester? Was I that shallow? Even if I wanted vengeance, what could be better than for you to live with this scarlet mark of shame burning upon your bosom? Hmm? Live! And carry your doom with you for the eyes of men and women, for the eyes of this child, and for me, whom you once called husband. Drink this! Live! Hester, <laughs> I do not ask why or how you have fallen into this pit. I know the reasons. My folly and your weakness. What did a man like me, a bookworm, old, what did I have to do with youth and beauty like yours? I was born misshapen and carried that mark with me. As surely as you now carry this scarlet letter. How did I delude myself that my learning would hide my deformity in a young girl's mind? Men call me wise. Pity I could not have been wise on my own behalf and foreseen all this. And I might have known that as I came out of the forest into this settlement of Christian men, the first thing to greet my eyes would be you, standing up before the people like a statue of ignominy. Was I not always frank with you? I felt no love, nor pretended to. True. You knew. You knew I was frank with you. I felt no love, nor feigned any. It was my folly, I have said it. But until I met you, I had lived in vain. My heart was like a house with rooms for many guests, but lonely, cold with no household fire. I longed to kindle one. Was it so wild a dream, old and misshapen as I was, to think I might have some joy, 
simple bliss. It is scattered around for all mankind to gather up. Why could I not gather a little for myself? I have greatly wronged you. We have greatly wronged each other. Mine was the first wrong when I betrayed your budding youth into a relationship with my decay. A false, unnatural relationship. And your wrong is being punished. Even now. The scale is balanced between us. But Hester, there is a man who has wronged us both. Who is he? Do not ask me. You shall never know. Never, you say? Never know him? Believe me, Hester, there are few things hidden from the man who devotes himself to the solution of a mystery. You can keep your secret from the prying people. You can even keep it from magistrates and ministers. But I come to this inquest with more senses than they possess. What will you do? Oh, do not fear for him. Do not think I shall interfere with heaven's own retribution or even betray him to human law. Let him live. Let him hide himself in outward honour if, as I suspect, he is a man of repute. None of these things matter. He shall be mine. Your acts are like mercy, but your words are... They're terror. There is something I would ask of you as the one who used to be my wife. You have kept this man's name a secret. Do the same with mine. There are none in this land that know me. Breathe not to any human soul that you ever called me husband. Why? Why not announce yourself and cast me off? It may be because I do not care for the dirt that besmirches the husband of a faithless woman. It may be for other reasons, but it is what I want. Here on this forsaken outskirt of the earth I shall pitch my tent. For here I find a woman, a man and a child with whom I share the closest ties. No matter whether of love or hate, you and yours, Hester, belong to me. But do not betray me. Very well. Swear it. Remember, the life of your paramour is in my hands. Swear it. I swear. Good. And now, Mistress Prynne, I leave you alone with your infant and the scarlet letter. How is it, Hester? Do you wear it even in your sleep? Do you have nightmares? and hideous dreams. Why do you smile like that? Are you like the man in black who they say haunts the forest? Have you tricked me into a bomb that will prove the ruin of my soul? Not your soul, Hester. No, not yours. So, goodwife Spivey, what do you think of it? I think there can be no doubt about Mistress Prynne's craft with the needle. This is certainly the most beautiful christening robe I've ever seen. Yet you sound uncertain about having one made for Thomas. I cannot believe our Lord would want my new child baptised in a robe stitched by a... a woman such as that. <laughs> I have heard that word, Aunt. You may well have. That makes it no less shameful to utter. Mistress Cork, what is your feeling? 
I think, good wife Purvis, that God might have given Mistress Prynne this gift with the needle as a sign of his mercy. We have taken everything else from her. Mary, there is nothing we have taken from her that she did not throw away of her own free will. Your aunt is right. I'm sorry, aunt. I meant no blasphemy. But think for a moment upon the woman's present life. Her present life? What of her past sin? That was five years since. She has lived alone with her child in that hovel near the seashore blamelessly. No, more than blamelessly. It is said she gives almost all she earns from her needle to those less fortunate even than herself. Not all she earns. She must spend half her income upon that child. I hear she dresses her in outlandish clothes of purple and yellow silks. Even scarlet. The very colour of her shame. There are those who say the child is of demon origin. That she has been seen at dead of night flying in the forest with witches. I believe that. I once saw the little imp on the road with her mother. She fixed me with a stare that put me in a fright for my life. She is just a child. And I, for one, am always happy to see the little thing. She fills me with sunshine. There are many in the town who believe the child should be taken from her mother to be given a proper Christian upbringing. And I agree with them. It may not be too late to save her from perdition. Has nobody ever thought that some small measure of forgiveness towards the mother might be the best remedy for any waywardness in the child? Are you suggesting we welcome her in? Forget what she has done? What sort of thoughts are these for a young woman? Of course not, aunt. I am only... Only... I think, goodwife Spivey, your niece has a tender heart that the evils of the world have yet to temper. Tender and foolish? Like Mistress Prince? Enough, Mary. Or your father shall hear. I take it, then, that you will not be asking Mistress Prynne to stitch a christening robe? No, I think not. But thank you, good wife, for showing it to me. I shall have to content myself with less beauty, but perhaps more piety. Pearl, come here, or we shall be late for Governor Bellingham. What were you doing? I was tearing at the weeds. I hate them. Why do you hate them? I pretend they're other children. Oh, Pearl, that's not a good thing to pretend. Are you not a child? Not like the others. They call me names. Names cannot harm you, child. They have no power. Why do they say them, then? They say them because... Why do you weep when they call you names? I do not. I... Why, Mother, it's because of that picture on your dress. Pearl, you ask too many questions for a little girl. Be quiet now and take my hand. Pearl, come here. Why? Why, 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 you are not my child. You are no pearl of mine. Tell me what you are, and who sent you here? You tell me. Your heavenly father sent you. I have no heavenly father. Hush, Pearl, hush. You must not talk so. He sent us all into this world, even me, your mother, and much more you. Where did you come from otherwise? Tell me, tell me. I have told you. Now come along. We must take these gloves I've embroidered for Governor Bellingham and be sure you behave when we're there. The names cannot harm you, but governors can. 
I'd propose to plant an orchard of pears and peaches. Uh, I, I even fancy we might cultivate grapes against <laughs> that sunny wall. This garden, Governor Bellingham, is beginning to take on the aspect of another Eden. Thank you, Reverend Master Wilson. It is a pity I could not make it so with the same ease that God enjoyed. <laughs> Yet we do have a fine soil in these parts, Governor. Mm -hmm. Many wild things grow with a profusion I never saw in England. Wild things, yes, Master Chillingworth, but we do not all share your appreciation of weeds. <laughs> Until one of us has need of the good physician's ointments or potions, my own health has improved greatly since I placed it in his care. Indeed. Yes, the balm you concocted last month has quite cured my rheumatism, Chillingworth. I'm glad of it. Though I can claim no part of its invention. It is a remedy I learned among the Indians. Oh, be careful, Master Chillingworth. I see the Reverend Wilson quaking at the thought of a heathen ointment. Oh, no, Governor. <laughs> I'm quite prepared to admit these people have a sort of wisdom. If only they had knowledge of their own souls. That is a wisdom few of us are granted. Your words are timely. Gentlemen, it is not to admire my garden that I asked you here this morning. As you know, Mistress Prynne's child is of an age where she should be receiving proper Christian instruction, and that, naturally, cannot be furnished by the mother. Can it not? How could it be? But the woman... Is a scarlet woman. A type of her of Babylon. Uh, yes. You must excuse my young colleague, Governor. He is merely displaying the tenderness that has made his flock so devoted to him. The tenderness you should display, Dimsdale, is for the soul of this child. Now... May I continue? Uh, please. Some good people in the town have agreed to make proper provision for the child. They will take her into their house as one of their own? Uh, no. No, among the servants. There she will be clad soberly, disciplined strictly, and instructed in the truths of heaven and earth. It seems an excellent plan, Governor. Mm -hmm. When will it be achieved? This very morning, I hope. The woman is coming here to deliver some gloves she has embroidered. We shall tell her what is to be done and remove the child forthwith. She will not take it gently. When I attended her some years ago in her prison cell, she displayed terrifying passion. That is why I wanted your attendance, Doctor. Now, if we go into the house, the woman might already have arrived. Mother, is this the governor's house? Yes, Pearl. I like it. The walls are full of stars. Those are pieces of glass, Pearl, not stars. Get me one, get me star. No. Now behave yourself. Remember what I told you. Shh. Yes? Is the worshipful governor Bellingham within? You may not see his worship now. He has guests with him. A godly man and a physician. Nevertheless, I had arranged to see him. So, if you please, I will enter. Very well. You may wait in the entrance hall. Come, Pearl. Wait here. Come, Pearl. Sit. Look, Mother, look. I can see myself in this. What is this? A suit of armour. Does the governor wear it? No, Pearl. It is only for show. Now come along. Come along. 
into this pretty garden. We can look at the flowers. They're even more beautiful than the ones we pick in the woods. There. Look. I do not like those ones there. <laughs> those are cabbages. But look over there at the rose bushes. I like those. Are they not lovely? And in England, they grew in many colours. I like red best. Like the picture on your dress. Get me a rose, Mother. I cannot do that. This is the governor's garden, not the woods. The roses are not ours to pick. Wants a rose. Pearl wants a rose. Hush, child. Oh, dear little Pearl, do not cry, please. Listen, I hear voices. Now be good. The governor is coming and the other gentlemen with him. What have we here? What little bird of scarlet plumage may this be? I do profess I have never seen the like since the vanity of my youth. When I thought it a high favour to be admitted to a court mask, there used to be swarms of these little apparitions. We called them the children of the Lord of Misrule. Aye, indeed. And now, little one, who are you? And whatever has ailed your mother to deck you in this strange fashion? Are you a Christian, child? Hmm? Do you know your catechism? Or are you one of those naughty elves or fairies we thought we had left behind in merry England? I am Mother's child and my name is Pearl. Pearl, you say? Ruby, rather, or Red Rose at the very least, judging from your hue. Pearl. Gentlemen, let us look into this matter forthwith. Hester Prynne. There has been much question concerning you of late. The point has been weightily discussed whether we that are of authority and influence do well discharge our consciences by trusting an immortal soul such as there is in this child to the guidance of one who has stumbled and fallen. Is it not for your little one's temporal and eternal welfare that she should be taken out of your charge? What can you do for the child? I, I can teach my pearl what I have learned from this. Woman, that is your badge of shame. It is because of that, or rather the stain that it indicates, that we would transfer the child to other hands. Nevertheless, this badge has taught me, it is teaching me at this very moment, lessons that can make my child wiser and better, even though they can profit nothing to myself. Good Master Wilson, I pray you examine this pearl. See whether she has such Christian nurture as befits a child of her age. Yeah, indeed. Uh, uh, come, child, and sit on my knee. No. Pearl, do as the gentleman says. There. Now, Pearl, you must take heed to instruction, so that in due season you may wear in your bosom the pearl of great price. So, child, can you tell me who made you? No. Pearl, I have told you many times. Be silent, Hester Prynne. Let the child answer honestly. Who made you, Pearl? Nobody. Think, child. I remember now. Good. Then tell me. My mother plucked me off a bush. Pearl. This is awful. 
Here is a child of five years old and she cannot tell who made her. There is no question about it. She is equally in the dark as to her soul, its present depravity and future destiny. Gentlemen, we need inquire no further. God gave me that child. He gave her as compensation for everything else which you have taken from me. She is my reason for living, my happiness, and my torture. Oh, yes, she punishes me. Can you not see that she is the scarlet letter? Yet I must love her with all my heart. And so she has the power of retribution for my sin a million times over. You will not take her. I will die first. My poor woman. The child shall be well cared for, far better than you can do it. God gave her into my keeping. I will not give her up. You, Master Dimsdale, speak out for me. You were my pastor and had charge of my soul and know me better than these men can. I will not lose my child. You know, for you have sympathies these men lack. You know what is in my heart and what are a mother's rights and how much stronger they are when that mother has but her child and the scarlet letter. I will not lose my child. Look to it. Speak out for me. There is truth in what she says. It is true feeling which inspires her. God gave her the child and gave her an instinctive knowledge of its nature and requirements. Nobody else has that understanding. Mm -hmm. And moreover, is there not a quality of awful sacredness between this mother and this child? Aye. And how is that, good Master Dimsdale? Make that plain... I pray you. Oh, surely it must be so. If we deem it otherwise, are we not saying that our Heavenly Father has likely recognized a deed of sin and made of no account the distinction between unhallowed lust and holy love? Well said, Dimsdale. This child of its father's guilt and its mother's shame has come from the hand of God to work in many ways upon the heart of this woman who now pleads so earnestly the right to keep her. It was meant for a blessing, the one blessing of her life. It was meant, no doubt, as the mother herself has said, for a retribution too, a torture, a pang, to be felt at many an unthought-of moment. An ever-recurring agony in the midst of a troubled joy. Look, hath she not expressed this thought in the garb of the poor child, so forcibly reminding us of the red badge that sears her breast? Well said again. I feared the woman had no better thought than to make a mountebank of her child. Oh, not so. Not so. She recognises, believe me, the solemn miracle which God hath wrought by creating that child. She reminds her every moment of her fall, and yet she teaches her, as it were by the Creator's sacred pledge, 
that if she brings the child to heaven, the child will bring the parent with her. For Hester Prynne's sake, then, as much as for the child's, let us leave them as Providence has seen fit to place them. You speak, my friend, with a strange earnestness. And there is great weight in what my young brother has spoken. What do you say, worshipful Master Bellingham? Has he not pleaded well for the woman? Indeed he has. His arguments have persuaded me that we should leave the matter as it stands. So long, at least, that there is no further scandal in the woman. However, we must ensure that the child is put to due examination in the catechism and at the proper season the tithing men must take heed that she go both to school and to meeting. You may leave, Mistress Prynne. What of the gloves I have embroidered for you, Governor? Ah, yes, yes. Speak to one of my servants. He will give you your fee. As you wish. Come, Pearl. Pearl! What is this? Perhaps the child would rather remain. Pearl! Oh, now I understand. The child wants to thank Dimsdale with a kiss. I kissed the man, Mother. Yes. Come and A strange child. It is easy to see the mother's part in that. Do you think, gentlemen, that a philosopher could analyse her nature and from that give a shrewd guess at the father? Uh, no, that would be sinful. Better to fast and pray upon it. Providence may reveal his identity. Uh, but until then, every Christian man has a duty to show a father's kindness towards the poor little thing. What think you, Dimsdale? Do you think the identity of the father could be divined in such a way? Forgive me, gentlemen. I must take some air. Come. Oh, good morning, Master Chillingworth. Good morning, Widow Whitehead. I, I, I have brought a... Oh, Master Dimsdale. I did not see you sitting there. Oh, I thought I'd not quite faded away completely. Oh, oh no. I, I did not mean that. I, I meant, um, I, I have baked this pie. Ah. Mm. Smells extremely tempting, Widow. I hope you have not brought it merely for us to admire. Oh, of course not. I wanted you to have it. Oh, thank you. It, it is still a little um, hot, so um, I shall leave it uh, here on the table. Yes. Good day, gentlemen. <laughs> what an extraordinary woman. So good, yet so nervous. I think she has a fondness for you, Chillingworth. For me? No, nonsense. No member of the fair sex has ever had a fondness for me. Nor I for any of them. Never? Never. A good landlady answers all my needs. That seems a pity. And what of you? Half my age, with every maiden in Boston hanging upon your lips. Why do you not take one for your oh, wife? Well, that is simple. I, I am too weakly to marry. Why make some girl my wife when I know I would make her my widow very soon? 
I'm happier lodging here with you where the little strength I have may be devoted to my ministry. A strength I hope to preserve for many years to come. At this moment, I prescribe a piece of that pie. Ah, no, thank you. I, I'm not hungry. Mmm. <laughs> Apple and molasses. You certain, Dimazel? Oh, yes, thank you. These herbs, Doctor... Well, the ones with the dark leaf? Yes. Where did you gather them? Outside this very window, in the graveyard. They're new to me. I found them growing on a grave which bore no tombstone. I think they grew out of the dead man's heart. They might indicate some hideous secret that was buried with him. A secret he had done better to confess during his lifetime. Perhaps he earnestly desired it, but could not. Why? If all the powers of nature call so earnestly for the confession of a hidden sin that they have made these black weeds spring up from a buried heart, why not? Oh, that, good sir, is but a fantasy of yours. Is it? There can be no power short of the divine to disclose the secrets buried with a man. The heart that has made itself guilty of such secrets can hold them until the day when all hidden things shall be revealed. And unless I have wrongly interpreted Holy Writ, the disclosure of such secrets will not be part of any retribution. The hearts that hold such miserable thoughts will yield them up on that last day, not with reluctance, but with joy. Then why not reveal them here? Why do the guilty ones not avail themselves of this unutterable solace? Uh, they, they mostly do. Many, many a poor soul has given its confidence to me while strong in life, and ever after such an outpouring, what relief I've witnessed. Why should a wretched man guilty, let us say, of murder... Why should he keep the dead corpse buried in his own heart? Yet some bury their secrets thus. True. But perhaps they shrink from displaying themselves black and filthy in the eyes of men because they care for those very men. If they revealed themselves, they could no longer achieve any good in the world, so to their own utter torment... They go about as pure as new-fallen snow, while their hearts are spotted with iniquity. These men deceive themselves. They are scared of taking up the shame that belongs to them. Their love for man, their zeal for God's service. If they truly sought to glorify God, they would not lift their unclean hands up to him. If they would serve their fellows, they would do it better by penitence and self-abasement. Would you really have me believe, Dimsdale, that a false show can be better than God's own truth? Trust me, my pious friend. Such men deceive themselves. <laughs> it may be so. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, 
with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What is the child doing? Dancing on a gravestone. I swear there is no regard for human opinions, right or wrong, in that child. Is she any discoverable principle of being? None, save the freedom of a broken law. Whether or not she is capable of good, I do not know. There goes a woman who has none of that hidden sin which you deem so grievous to bear. Is Hester Prynne the less miserable for that scarlet letter on her breast? I believe so, though I cannot answer for her. There was a look of pain on her face which I would gladly have been spared the sight of, but I... Uh... Still, I, I think it must be better for the sufferer to be free to show his pain, as this poor woman is, than to cover it all up in his heart. You asked me a little while ago for my judgment on your health. I did. Speak frankly, please. Very well. Your disorder is a strange one. Looking at you daily for all these months we have lodged together, I would say you were a man sore sick, yet not so sick that a physician might not hope to cure you. But uh, I do not know how to put this. The disease is what I seem to know, yet I do not know it. You speak in riddles, learned sir. Uh, then I shall speak more plainly. Forgive me for this, if forgiveness is needed, but... Have you told me everything? How can you question it? You tell me then that I know all? Yes. So be it. But a physician who has shown only the physical symptoms of an illness often knows but half the evil he has been called upon to cure. A bodily disease may be but a symptom of a spiritual ailment. Then I need ask no further. You do not, I take it, deal in medicine for the soul? Thus, the sickness in your spirit has manifested itself in your body. How can I heal just your bodily evil if you will not lay open the wound in your soul? No. Not to you, nor to any earthly physician. If it is the soul's disease, then I commit myself to the one physician of the soul. Who are you to meddle in this? How do you dare thrust yourself between the sufferer and his god? knew you had done a wild thing at some time in your past, my pious Master Dimsdale. And now I know what it was. Praise the Lord, Reverend Master Dimsdale. Praise the Lord, Master Cadbury. Your sermon this morning was... Yes? Oh, I'm not a man of words, but... I thought we heard the voice of God. Master Cadbury. No, no, I mean no irreverence. Uh, yet at times, it seemed as though your very voice was oh, full of thunder. It was no longer yours. I, I wept, your reverence. Yes, my daughter wept. I do not like to think my sermons make young ladies weep. Oh, um, they were tears of joy in the face of truth. I am glad that you can find the truth in my words. 
To me, it is like the Holy Grail. I seek it, I believe in it, yet I never seem to grasp it. Oh, we do. Your reverence, we do. Alice, you must excuse my daughter. Oh, I do not think my sermons be as good as you claim, mistress, if they lead you to tears. Master <laughs> Dimsdale. Sexton. And Master Cadbury, good morning. Good morning. A most marvellous discourse today, your reverence. Thank you. But were you not missing something? Missing? Ah. Uh... I do not think so. Not uh, this? Uh, oh. My glove. It was found this morning on the scaffold. Oh, extraordinary. I take it Satan dropped it there. <laughs> A scurrilous jest against your reverence. Then Satan was blind and foolish, as he ever and always is. A pure hand needs no glove to cover it. Oh, thank you, my good friend. Yes, it, it seems to be my glove, indeed. <laughs> and and since Satan saw fit to steal it, your reverence must needs handle him without gloves from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Great powers were abroad last night. Did your reverence not hear of the portent that was seen in the sky? No. Aye, a great red letter made from fire. A letter? The letter A. Have you reverence really heard nothing of this? No. No, I have not. I... <laughs> Come, you fates. Come. Visit your wrath upon me. Scourge me with your fire. Brand me the miserable, crawling thing I truly am. Oh, burn the lids from the eyes of those who cannot see me, who will not see me for what I am. Janus-faced and Janus-hearted, I move among them. Accept their love. Allow their vain belief that their pure Master Dimsdale is of some finer metal, when all the time my soul is blacker than the ashes of their ashes. Oh, I'm in pain. Heart-sick pain. Yes, burn me. Here, here at my soul's center. Ah... It is done. Now the whole town must wake and find me here, on this scaffold. What? Nobody has awoken. What must I do? What must I do? Prin, are you there? Yes, I am. It is Pearl and I. Where have you come from, Hester? Why are you here in the middle of the night? I have been watching at a deathbed. 
at Governor Winthrop's deathbed. I've taken his measure for a robe, and now we're going homeward. Would you come up here, Esther? Onto the scaffold? I know that you and Pearl have been here once before, but I was not standing beside you. Come up here once again, and we will all three stand together. Come. Take my hand. Take my hand. And you, little Pearl. Take my hand. Mister? Yes, child? Will you stand here again with Mother and me tomorrow in the daylight? No. No, my little Pearl. I, I shall indeed stand with you and your mother on another day, but not tomorrow. And I do not want to hold your hand anymore. No, a, a moment longer, my child. But will you promise to take my hand and Mother's hand tomorrow? Not then, Pearl. Another time, I promise. When? When will you? At the Great Judgment Day. in the sky. What does it mean? I dare not guess. It made a shape. It, it did not. It did. It was a letter. The same letter Mother wears on her dress. A. It was an A. No. No, it was not. Come, Pearl. We must make our way homeward. No, Hester, stay. I, I'm afraid. Who, who is that over there? I can see nobody. Yes. There is somebody there. I saw him by the light in the sky. Who is it, Hester? I uh, have a nameless horror of him. I can see him. I know who he is. Then tell me, child. Uh, now you mock me. You, you said you knew the man. But you will not promise to stand here tomorrow. Come now, Pearl. Oh. Worthy sir, uh, okay. pious Master Dimsdale, can this be you? Well, well, indeed. We men of study, eh? We dream in our waking moments and walk in our sleep. Come, good sir, my dear friend, let me lead you home. How did you know I was here? In good faith, I knew nothing of the matter. I spent the better part of the night at the bedside of Governor Winthrop. Doing what I might to give him ease. But now he has gone homeward to a better world. So I am returning homeward likewise. Then I saw that strange light in the sky. Come with me, I beseech you, else you will be poorly able to do your Sabbath duty tomorrow. Come, sir. Uh, I will go home with you. You should study less, good sir, and take a little pastime, or these night whimsies may grow upon you. 
Chillingworth. The light. The light that appeared in the sky. Yes, I saw it. But did it have a shape, Chillingworth? Did you discern a shape in it? Yes, I think I did. And what was it? Tell me. Why, it was but the simplest of shapes, dear friend. The letter A. Yes, the letter A. We took it to stand for Angel. Angel. Are you quite well, Reverend Sir? Yes. Yes. Why Angel? Because Governor Winthrop's soul had departed for a better place, of course. Oh, of course. All because of you, Your Reverence. You are our own special angel. I need you to thread my needle. My eyesight is not sharp enough. Why do you not sew outside in the light? Because the sunshine might fade this black cloth. But you never work in the sunshine, even when the cloth is gaily coloured. The sunshine is for you, Pearl. Here, thread my needle. So you are like the minister, then? How's that? He said he will not stand with us on the scaffold. Not in the sunshine. He has... Reasons of his own. What are they? They are very hard to explain to a little girl. That is what they are. But, Mother... Hush, child. Who can that be? I shall see. No, Pearl, wait. Hello. Good day, little Pearl. Is your mother within? Yes, Mother. Oh, good day, Mistress Prim. Mistress Cork. Forgive me coming here. I know it is not usual but I have been unable to find you in town these past two weeks, and I have some work I would like you to do. Will you come in? Thank you. Pearl, run along and play outside. But, Mother... Pearl! Oh. Goodbye. Goodbye, Pearl. The child has no manners. I try my hardest, but she's un... A lovely, free little spirit. I only hope my own children, if our Lord blesses me, have so much laughter and gaiety. Thank you. But I must not think so far into the future. It is my wedding that has brought me here. You are to marry? I had feared you were here with sad news. To Governor Bellingham's nephew, Jacob, in the spring. The spring? Well, that's very nearly a year away. I'm certain we would have seen each other in plenty of time. Yes, but I wanted... Oh, I, I confess. I wanted to see inside your cottage. Forgive me. Am I not already an object of sufficient curiosity? I am truly sorry. Do you wish me to leave? No. Uh, will you sit? Thank you. It's very strange to see another person here. It's the one place I can feel some small measure of freedom. From the letter on your breast? No, no. That is a freedom God alone can grant. Freedom, a little, from the weight of human accusation. I think perhaps you do not quite know what people say of you. Nor is it my place to inquire. But I feel compelled to tell you. When strangers to the town inquire about that woman with the embroidered badge, people say she is our Hester, our very own Hester, who is so kind to the poor, so helpful to the sick. That is what people say, Mistress Prynne. And I imagine that in the very next breath they cannot help but whisper the black scandal of the past. No, 
I am sure that is not so. Mistress Cork, if there is any softening in the hearts of the people of this town, then it is because I have never demanded any rights of them. I am certain you mean well, but my life, though I would not have chosen it, is my life. I have spoken out of place and too freely. You are in love. It is greatly to your credit that you wish the whole world to feel that warmth. In time, you will learn that even love must obey the rules of men. Look, Mother, in this pool, a crab. Do not touch it, Pearl. It might... Snap, snap. Look, Mother. Snip, snap. Pearl, put it back. Why? Think how you would feel if some giant came and plucked you from your bed for his own amusement. I would like that. No, you would not. You would be very, very frightened. Now put it back. No. Snip, snap. Ah! There, it bit you, and I have no sympathy. No, it did not. Then what has upset you? Over there, look. The old man in black. Look! That is Master Chillingworth, Pearl, gathering herbs. You know him. He scares me. Then run along and play. I wish to speak to him. Go on. Master Chillingworth? Master Chillingworth? I would speak a word with you. A word that concerns us much. <laughs> is it... Mistress Hester, that has a word for old Roger Chillingworth. Why, mistress, I hear good things of you from all sides. Indeed. Only yesterday I was speaking with a magistrate. He whispered me that there had been question concerning you in the council. It was debated whether or not with safety to the common weal, of course, the scarlet letter might be taken off your bosom. On my life, Hester... I made my entreaty that it might be done forthwith. Well, what of that, Mistress Hester? It lies not in the pleasure of magistrates to take off this badge. Were I worthy to be quit of it, it would fall away of its own nature or be transformed into something that should speak a different purport. Wear it, then, if it suits you better. A woman must dress as she pleases. <laughs> What see you in my face that you look at it so earnestly? Something that would make me weep if there were any tears bitter enough for it. But let it pass. It is of another miserable man that I would speak. And who is that? You know fully well. Oh, Dimsdale! What of him? In truth, my thoughts happen just now to be busy with the gentleman, so speak freely and I will answer. Seven years ago, when we last spoke alone together, it was your pleasure to extort a promise of secrecy from me, that I should never tell a soul that once I called you husband. As the life and good fame of a man were in your hands, it seemed I had no choice but to meet your demand. A wise choice, Hester. Yet, even as I pledged myself to keep your counsel, something whispered me that I was betraying my duty towards him. And since that day, no man is so near to him as you. 
You tread behind his every footstep. You are beside him, sleeping and waking. You search his thoughts. You worm into his heart. You, your clutch is on his life, and you cause him to die daily a living death. And still he knows you not. I have permitted this. There was only one man in the world towards whom I could act truly, and I did not. I acted falsely. No, what choice had you? My finger pointed at the man, would have hurled him from his fine pulpit into a dungeon, and who knows, from there to the gallows. It had been better so. What evil have I done him? I tell you, Hester, no king ever received such care as I have wasted on this miserable priest. But for my help, he would have burned away in torment within two years of the crime you and he committed. He never had your strength. That he now breathes and creeps about is owing all to me. Better he had died at once. Yes, woman, you're right. Better he had. Never did mortal suffer what he has suffered. And all in the sight of his worst enemy. Oh, he has been conscious of something in his superstitious priest's way. He felt a fiend was dogging him. And he was not wrong. But he never knew the fiend was at his elbow. A mortal man who once had a human heart had become a fiend for Dimsdale's special torment. Have you not tortured him enough? Has he not paid you all? No, no. He has only increased his debt. Do you remember me? Esther, as I was nine years ago. I remember. All my life had been made up of earnest, quiet years, bestowed for the increase of my knowledge and for the advancement of human welfare. No life, none, had been more peaceful and innocent than mine. Do you remember me? Was I not... Though you sometimes thought me cold, a man thoughtful for others, craving little for myself. Kind, just, and of constant, if not warm, affection. Was I not all this? All this and more. And what am I now? A fiend. And who made me so? I did. I did. Why have you not avenged yourself on me instead of him? Because I left you to the Scarlet Letter. If that has not avenged me, I can do no more. It has avenged you. As I thought. So what of Dimsdale? I must reveal the secret. He must see you as you truly are. I do not know what the result may be, but I know there is a debt of confidence due from me to him. I intend to pay it. Hester, I could pity you. You had greatness within you. If you had met earlier with a better love than mine, this evil might never have been. I pity you. For all the good that has been wasted in your nature. And I you. For the hatred that has turned a wise and just man into a fiend. Will you not purge it out of yourself? Be human again. If not for his sake, then for your own. Forgive. Peace, Hester, peace. It is not granted me to pardon. 
I thought my old faith was long forgotten, but now it comes back to me and explains all that we do, all that we suffer. When you first went awry, you planted the germ of evil, but since that moment, everything has been but dark necessity. Do you see, Esther? This is our fate. Now be gone. Let that black flower blossom as it may. Come now, Pearl. Climb into your nightgown. You should have been abed long ago. <laughs> Pearl, it is almost dark, and I must finish my stitching if we are to have food on the table tomorrow. Tell me a story. If you come here and put this on, I will. There. You're very hot, child. I think you have a chill from the seashore. Tell me a story. Into bed. Now, which story would you like to hear? Tell me a real story. Tell me about the scarlet letter. Tell me why you wear it. Why do you think I wear it? Is it the same reason the minister keeps his hands over his heart? And what reason is that? What has the letter to do with any heart save mine? I do not know. Ask the old man you are talking with today. Maybe he can tell. I do not think so. Come, Pearl. Go to sleep. But, Mother, you have not told me. What does the letter mean? And why do you wear it? Oh, why does the minister keep his hand on his heart? Please, Mother, why? Silly Pearl, what questions are these? There are many things in this world that a child must not ask about. What do I know of the minister's heart? And as for the scarlet letter, I wear it for the sake of its gold thread. What does it really mean, Mother? Naughty child, have I not told you? Do not tease me or I shall shut you in the closet. Now hold your tongue. Mistress Prynne is here to see you, Governor. Show her in. Ah, Mistress Prynne. That will be all, Pinkney. Governor. Good day, Your Worship. And little Pearl. <laughs> How the child has grown. Say good day, Pearl. Hello. It is a long time since you were in my house, Mistress. Yes, Governor. But now the circumstances are happier. Yes, Governor. Yes. Now, as you know, my nephew Jacob is to marry Mistress Cook in the spring. I believe you are sewing the wedding gown. God willing. And naturally, I wish to give them a gift. Not being blessed with a family of my own, I, I feel an especial affection for Jacob. I thought a Bible cover. A Bible cover would make a marvellous wedding gift. It was not your approval I sought, Mistress Hester, but your talent. Yes. Now, I have a Bible cover which I brought from the old country. It is all embroidered in gold thread, a veritable work of art. And I dare say it is beyond even your skills to copy it. But perhaps you could contrive something similar? Could I see it? Yes, I, uh, I have it here. Oh, this is gorgeous work. But to the glory of God. 
It would take many hours, and I would need to take it away. And not the book? No, the cover. You could do it, though? Yes, I'm certain. I hope you are not being proud, Mistress Hester. It is painstaking work, Governor, and delicate. But it was sewn by mortals, not angels. And it can be copied. Then I commission you. When will it be ready? Oh, I cannot say. The thread will have to be sent for... Uh, but once you have it. Oh, a month? Six weeks, maybe. Certainly before next spring. You see, I want Reverend Master Dimsdale to use the Bible for the wedding ceremony. Master Dimsdale will marry them? If the poor young man still has the strength, yes. Ah, it seems his health cannot be restored even by the offices of Master Chillingworth. It is as though the Lord loves him so much he can barely wait to have him by his side. He is a saint, Mistress Hester, walking among men. He has even extended his mission among the savage Indians, you know. I had not heard that. Oh, yes, yes. And every week... Even though he has not the strength, he makes his way through the forest to preach to his converts. On which day? A Thursday, I believe. But how is that important? Oh, no, no, it is not. Oh, now, to business. If you will examine the Bible cover carefully, I, I do not wish to order an excess of gold thread. Why are we walking so far into the forest, Mother? No reason, pal, except that it is a beautiful day. No, it is not. There's hardly any sunshine, and when we step in some, it runs away and hides. I think it is scared of you. There's some sunshine over there. Run and catch it. Why does the sun not love you, Mother? Is it because of the scarlet letter? Run away, pal. Catch the sunshine before it's all gone. Oh, it will not flee from me. I wear nothing on my bosom yet. Nor will you ever, I hope. Why not? Will the letter not come on its own when I grow up? Run! Run! <laughs> See, Mother, I caught it. I caught the sunshine. It will go now you're here. No, look. I can reach out my hand and grasp some of it, too. Oh, I knew it would. Never mind. Come, Pearl. We will sit down over there and rest. I'm not tired, Mother. But you sit down and tell me a story. A story? And about what? Oh, the story about the man in black. Tell me how he haunts the forest and how he carries a big book with him with huge iron clasps and how he meets people here and makes them write their names in the book with blood and then he puts a mark on their bosoms. You seem to know the story already, Pearl. Who told it to you? The old dame. Which old dame? At the governor's house on Monday. You mean Mistress Hibbins, the governor's sister? Yes, the witch lady. She is a foul-tempered, wicked old woman, Pearl. You must not listen to her. But she told me about the scarlet letter. She said the man in black put it on you. She said it glows when you meet him here at midnight. Did you ever awake and find your mother gone? Did you? 
No. But if you want to go and meet the man, you can wake me up. I would come. Tell me, Mother, is there such an old man? And did you ever meet him? If I tell you, will you let me be at peace? Yes, if you tell me. Very well. Yes. Once in my life, I met the man in black. And this scarlet letter is his mark. Oh, silly little book. Why are you so sad? Why is it, Mother? What does it say? If you had a sorrow of your own, the brook might tell you of it, Pearl, as it tells me of mine. There is somebody coming. Is it the man in black? No, child, it is not. But I wish to speak with this man, so go and play and leave me with him. But is it him? Have I not already said? Go and play, but do not stray too far and come the moment I call you. Yes, Mother. Arthur Dimsdale. Arthur Dimsdale. Who speaks? Esther? Esther Prynne? Is it you? Are you in life? Yes. Your hand is like marble. And yours? So, we are as alive as one another. I must sit down. Now I have found you, I can find nothing to say. Oh. Esther, have you found peace? Have you? None. Nothing but despair. What else could I look for, being what I am? Oh, but the people, they reverence you. And surely you do good work among them. Does this bring you no comfort? No, Hester. Only more misery. I might appear to do good, but I have no faith in it. What can a ruined soul like mine achieve for the redemption of other souls? You wrong yourself. You have deeply repented. Your sin is left behind you long, long ago. Your life now is no less holy than it seems in people's eyes. Why should it not bring you peace? No, Hester. No, there is no substance in it. It is cold and dead. It can do nothing for me. As for penitence, there has been none. If there had, I would long ago have shown myself to men as they will see me at the judgment seat. Oh, you are lucky, Hester, to wear the scarlet letter openly on your bosom. Mine burns in secret. Oh. You cannot know what a relief it is after seven years to look into an eye that recognizes me for what I am. If only I had one friend, no, even my worst enemy, one person, 
I could see each day who truly knew me. You have such a friend in me. No. No, you are the partner of it. I mean, an outside party. You have that too. And for a long time, you have lived with him under the same roof. What? What are you saying? Under the same roof? Oh, Arthur. Forgive me. Forgive me. In all things else, I have striven to be true. But when your good, your life, your, your fame were put in question, I consented to a deception. Do you see what I am saying? The old man whom they call Roger Chillingworth. He was my husband. I... I might have known it. I did know it. The very first time I saw him, something in me recoiled, and often since. Oh, why did I not understand? Oh, Hester, you cannot know all the horror of this. The shame. You are to blame for this. I cannot forgive you. No. 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 You will forgive me. You will. No. You will, Arthur. Arthur. Let God punish. No. You must forgive me. All the world has frowned on me. Heaven has frowned on me. But you, Arthur, you will not. Say you forgive me. Oh. Say it, Arthur. Say it. Say it. Please. Oh. Give us both. For we are not the worst sinners in the world. That old man's revenge has been blacker than my sin. He acted as my friend. He has violated in cold blood the sanctity of a human heart. You and I never did that. Never, never. What we did had a consecration of its own. Yes. We felt it. We said so to each other. Have you forgotten? Oh, Shasta. No. I have not forgotten. Hold me. Yes. Oh, no. What is it? A new horror has occurred to me. Chillingworth knows your intention to reveal him. What will he do now? Will he keep the secret? Uh, I think so. There is a strange secrecy in his nature. He will doubtless seek another way of satisfying his dark need. And how am I to continue breathing the same air as this man? Oh, think for me, Hester. You, you are strong. Think for me. Your heart must no longer be under his evil eye. You must no longer live with him. But how? 
Must I sink down here now and die just to avoid him? Oh, what ruin has befallen you? Will you die from weakness? There is no other reason. Oh, the judgment of God is on me. It is too mighty for me to struggle with Hester. Heaven would show mercy if only you had the strength to take advantage of it. Be strong for me, please. Tell me what to do. Arthur, does the entire universe lie within the boundaries of that town over there? What? Well, not long ago it was but a leaf-strewn desert. Where does this forest path lead? Back to the settlement, you would say. But it leads onward, too. A few miles from here, there is no trace of these people. There you would be free. No. Oh, Arthur, what have you to do with these iron men and their opinions? They have kept you in bondage too long already. Oh, it cannot be. I am powerless to go. Lost as my own soul is, I would still do what I may for others. I dare not quit my post. The weight of these past seven years has crushed you. But you shall leave it all behind. Leave this ruin here where it happened. Start anew. I cannot. I cannot. Oh, Hester, you speak of running a race to a man whose legs are tottering beneath him. I must die here. There is not the strength or the courage left in me to venture into the wide, strange world alone. Alone, Hester. Alone. Oh, no, Arthur. You shall not go alone. If, in all these past seven years, I could recall one moment of peace or hope, I would yet endure this. But I have not. So why should I not take some little solace? If this is the path to a better life, I surely give up no fairer prospect by pursuing it. And nor can I live any longer without your companionship. Oh, Hester, I dare not look into your eyes. Will you pardon me? We will go. <laughs> we will go? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Do I feel joy again? I, I thought he was dead in me. Oh, Hester, you are my better angel. The past is gone. Why should we linger over it? See, <gasps> I am taking this cruel symbol from my breast. I undo the past. It has never been. <laughs> there. It is on the far side of the brook. <laughs> Perhaps some magpie will take it up and use it as her nest. Hester. <laughs> Let me see your hair again. I had almost forgotten. Come, Arthur. Walk with me. Look, the sun has come out for us. <laughs> hmm. 
Arthur, you must know Pearl. Our little Pearl. I know you have seen her, but now you will see her with new eyes. Let me call her now. Uh, uh. Pearl? Pearl? Oh, I, I can see her over there on the other side of the brook. Pearl, come here. Do you really think she will love me? She seems to hang back. Oh, she will love you, Arthur. Oh. Is she not beautiful? Oh, and see how she has adorned herself with flowers. If she had gathered diamonds and rubies in the wood, they could not have become her better. Oh. You do not know how much alarm she's caused me, always tripping along beside you. I, I have thought that my own features were in hers and, and dreaded that the world might notice. Oh, what a terrible thing to dread. My own child's face. But now I see... She is mostly yours. No, no, not mostly. <laughs> and in a little while, you will not have to fear who she looks like. <sighs> now, when she comes to us, be perfectly natural. Do not let her see anything strange in your greeting. She loves me and will love you. Oh, I am dreading this. I'm yearning for it, too. Pearl, come along. How slow you are. Oh, she will not cross the brook. Come, dearest child. Leap across the brook and come to us. Strange child, why do you not come to me? Hasten, or I shall be angry. Why is she pointing like that? I do not... Oh. I understand. Children cannot bear any change from the familiar. She wants me to put the scarlet letter back on my breast. I, I pray you do something. I cannot bear the way she stares. Pearl, look down by your feet. There, next to you. See? Good. Now bring it here. Come here and get it. Oh, was there ever such a child? But she is right. I must wear the hateful thing a few days more. Then the ocean shall swallow it forever. <laughs> There, child. And your cap. Where is your cap? Here. I shall put my hair back inside it. Then I will be the mother you have always known. Now, will you come across the brook? Yes. Now you are my mother again. And I am your little pearl. Come, then. Why does the minister sit over there, mother? He waits to welcome you. He loves you, Pearl, and he loves your mother. Will you love him too? Will he go back with us holding hands? Will we all walk into town together? Not now, dear Pearl. But in days to come, he will. We will have a home and fireside of our own. And you will sit on his knee and he will teach you many things and, and love you dearly. And will he always keep his hand over his heart? Silly child, what sort of question is that? Now come and greet your father, the minister. Come, Pearl. Jump the brook. It is too wide. But did you not jump it earlier? It has grown no wider, child. Now jump. Good. Hello, Pearl. Will you not give me a kiss? No? 
then I shall give you one. No. Pearl, what is this behavior? She is washing my kiss away in the brook water. She will be punished if she continues. Pearl! No. Has to leave her. All this must seem most strange to her. Children cannot be hurried in their affections, most especially this one. She will come to love you, Arthur, in time. Yes, in time. Now, let us make our plans. If we truly are to escape this place, we, we cannot leave the method of our departing to chance. There is already a ship in the harbour. It sails for Bristol in four days' time. Oh, that is most fortunate. Oh, would that it sail tomorrow. No, you do not understand. In three days, I am to preach the annual sermon after the election of the magistrates. Oh? At least they shall say of me that I leave no public duty unperformed, nor ill-performed. Yes. At least they shall say that of you. Good day, Reverend Master Dimsdale. I see the sunshine has imparted its joy to your countenance. Good day, Deacon. You pompous old goat. I am very much looking forward to your election sermon. Uh, not that it could be any better than it was last year. You are too kind. And did you know Jesus and his disciples were utterly drunk at the Last Supper? Are you perfectly well, Reverend Sir? Yes, uh, yes, perfectly well. Ah. Good day, then. Yes, good day, Deacon. <laughs> I hope never to look upon your ugly face again. <laughs> what in God's name are you thinking? Stop this, Arthur. Oh, mm. Reverend oh. Sir. Oh, I am so glad to see you. And are you, Widow Foster? You loose-lipped, liver-spotted old hag. I have been thinking so much of my dear departed husband. But do you think, Reverend Sir? Oh, I do not like to ask. But your words have given me so much solace in the past. Do you think you could tell me a line or two from the scriptures? Just a word of comfort? Oh, of course, good lady. Let me think. Ah, I know. Your husband languishes in hell. Yes? Here, I, I shall bend down and say it in your ear. Oh. oh, sir, thank you. Good day. And God bless you. Oh, good day. What on earth did I say? Not what I wanted to, that is certainly... <laughs> <laughs> What is happening to me? Am I mad? Or am I given over utterly to this fiend? Did I make a contract with him in the forest and sign it in my own blood? Does he now call me to its fulfillment by suggesting the performance of every wickedness his foul imagination can conceive? Sir, Reverend Sir, you have made a visit into the forest. Uh, Mistress Hibbins. Next time. I pray you give me fair warning, and I shall be proud to bear you company. My good word will gain you a fair reception with the potentate you speak of. Uh, I profess, madam, that I am utterly bewildered by your words. I did not go into the forest to seek any potentate. 
My one object was to greet that pious friend of mine, the Apostle Eliot, <laughs> and rejoice with him over the many precious souls he has won from heathendom. <laughs> well, well. We must needs talk thus in the daytime. You carry it off like an old hand. But at midnight, in the forest, we shall have other talk together. Good day, sir. <laughs> Have I sold myself then to the fiend, whom people say is that old hag's chosen prince and master? Oh, my God. I pray not. Have I forsaken thee, O oh God? Yes? Welcome home, reverend sir. And how found you that godly man, the Apostle Elliot? Uh, I found him very well, Master Chillingworth. But, dear sir, you look pale. As if the journey had been too sore for you. I think you will need my aid to put you in strength to preach the election sermon. I think not. In fact, the journey and the fresh air and my meeting with the Holy Apostle have done me much good. I think I need no more of your drugs, my kind physician. But would it not be better that you use my poor skill? We must take pains to make you vigorous for the election sermon. The people look for great things from you. They feel you may be gone next year. Yes, to another world. Heaven grant it be a better one. But uh, touching your medicine in my present frame of body, I need it not. I joy to hear it. Maybe my remedies at last begin to take effect. How happy that would make me. I thank you from my heart, most watchful friend. I thank you and can only repay your good deeds with my prayers. Ah, but a good man's prayers are golden recompense. Now, if you'll excuse me, dear friend, I must write my sermon. Good evening, then, sir. And may God be praised for your restoration. Why have all these people come here today, Mother? They wait to see the procession, for the governor and the magistrates to go by, and the ministers, and all the great people, and good people, with the music and the soldiers marching before them. And will the minister be there? And will he hold out both his hands to me, like he did the other day in the forest? He will be there, child, but he will not greet you today, nor must you greet him. What a strange, sad man he is. He talks to us in the forest, all in the night time, but not in the sunshine. What a funny man with his hand on his heart. Be quiet, Pearl. You do not understand these things. Stop thinking about the minister. Look at all these happy, smiling faces. Not very happy. No, that is true. In old England, we knew better how to celebrate. How, Mother? Tell me. Oh, with bonfires and banquets, pageantry. There would be minstrels with their harps and jugglers. 
and a man we called Merry Andrew who would go about making everybody laugh. I like the sound of old England. So do I, my child. Who are those men over there, Mother? They're sailors, Pearl. Their clothes are very funny. Can we go closer? No. But look, old Master Chillingworth is talking to one of them. Oh. Mother? Come, Pearl. I must speak with that man. The sailor, but I thought... Come along. Captain. Captain. Ah, mistress. So I must bid the steward make ready one more berth than you bargained for. What mean you? Why, do you not know? This physician, um, chilling with, is it? He's sailing with us. Aye, aye, you must know. He tells me he's of your party and a close friend of that other gentleman you spoke of. They know each other well indeed. They have long dwelt together. So, uh, fare you well, mistress. Mother? Mother? Oh, yes, Pearl. Was that the same minister who kissed me in the forest? Hold your peace, dear little Pearl. We must not always talk in the marketplace of what happens to us in the forest. I should have run to him and asked him to kiss me now. Before all these people, what would he have said? What should he say, Pearl? Save that it was no time to kiss. That kisses are not to be given in the marketplace. Well for you that you did not speak to him. Now what mortal imagination could conceive it? <gasps> the witch lady. Hush, Pearl. Hey, mistress, who could conceive it? Conceive what, Mistress Hibbins? Yonder divine man, that saint on earth as people uphold him to be. And as I must needs say, he really looks. Who would think how little while it is since he went out of his study to take an airing in the forest? Now we know what that means, Hester Prim. Could you surely tell whether he was the same man that encountered you in the forest? Madam, I know not of what you speak. It is not for me to talk lightly of a learned and pious minister like the Reverend Master Dimsdale. Oh, fie, woman, fie. Do you think I have been to the forest so many times and gained no skill to tell who else has been there? I know you, Hester, for I behold the token. You wear it openly. So there need be no question about that. But this minister, let me tell you, when the man in black sees one of his own servants signed and sealed and so shy of owning up as is the Reverend Master Dimsdale, well, he has a way of ordering matters so that the mark shall be disclosed in daylight to the eyes of all the world. What is it that the minister seeks to hide? With his hand always over his heart? <laughs> Esther Prim. What is it, mistress? Mother will not tell me. No matter, darling. You shall see it yourself. They say, child, you are of the lineage of the Prince of the Air. Will you ride with me some fine night to see your father? Come, Pearl. Will you, child? Will you ride with me? <laughs> What did she mean, Mother? 
Nothing, little Pearl. She is not of sound mind. Let us go and sit outside the church, where we may hear some little of the minister's sermon. I want to go and play. Very well, then. But do not stray too far. I shall be near the church doors. Oh, what have we got here? A pretty plumage little elf child. Her dress make a fine topsail, Captain. Fire on your broom, little imp. <laughs> Mistress Hibbins says my father is the prince of the air. And if you call me names, I shall tell him and he will chase your ship with a tempest. Oh, will he indeed? Yes. Then I'd best wash myself, eh, boys? <laughs> <laughs> Your mother is the woman with the scarlet letter. Will you take her a message from me? If it pleases me. Then tell her that I spoke again with the hump-shouldered old doctor, and he engages to bring his friend aboard with him. Will you tell her that? Yes. Run then and tell her. And I shall watch my back for your father, the Prince of the Air. <laughs> What are you doing there, Hester Prynne? I'm resting by the church gates and listening to what I can of the minister's sermon. Some of us do not think it a fitting place for a woman such as you to show herself. No, most especially not in front of our sainted Master Dimsdale. Move yourself, woman, and your shameful token. No. <gasps> Little Pearl, how I love you, child. Why did these people stare at you? They do not stare at me, Pearl. They stare at something of their own imagining. I spoke to the sea captain, Mother. He gave me a message for you. Tell me then, but softly, mind. Tell me in my ear. Master Dimsdale, I fear the brilliance of your sermon has all but exhausted you. Here, let me help you up these steps. No, no, I must, I must. Hester, Hester Prynne, come hither. Come, my little pearl. Madman, hold. What is your purpose? Wave back that woman and her child. All shall be well. Only do not blacken your fame and perish in dishonor. I can yet save you. Tempter, I think you are too late. Your power is not what it was, and with God's help, I shall escape you now. Hester Prynne, come hither and twine your strength about me. This wretched old man is opposing it with all his might. Yes, his and the fiend's. Come, Hester, come. Support me up this scaffold where I should have stood seven years ago. 
Yes, Arthur. If you had searched the whole world, Dimsdale, there was no place you could have escaped me, save on this very scaffold. Then thanks be to him who led me here. Is this not better, Hester, than what we dreamed of in the forest? I know not. I know not. Better. So we may both die, and little Pearl die with us. For you and Pearl it shall be as God wills, and God is merciful. But now I must do his will. I am dying, Hester. Let me make haste to take my shame upon me. People of New England, you have loved me. You have deemed me holy. Now behold me, the one sinner of all the world. At last, at last I stand upon the spot where seven years since I should have stood. Here with this woman, yes, this woman, whose arm now sustains me. Lo, the scarlet letter which Hester wears. You have all recoiled from it. Wherever she has been, it has cast a lurid gleam around about her. But there stood one in the very midst of you from whose mark of sin and infamy you have not recoiled. It was on him. God's eye beheld it. The angels were forever pointing at it. The devil knew it well. But this man hid it cunningly from you and walked among you. Now he stands up before you and bids you. Look again at Hester's scarlet letter. With all its horror, it is but a shadow of what I bear on my own breast. Behold! Yes! A burning stigma in my very flesh. Stand any here who doubt God's judgment on a sinner. Behold a dreadful witness of it. No, 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 no. You have escaped me! You have escaped me! May God forgive you. You too have deeply sinned. My little pearl, dear little pearl, now you shall grow up amid human joy and sorrow. You shall not forever do battle with the world, but be a woman in it. Dear little pearl, will you kiss me now? You would not kiss me in the forest, but now you will? Yes. Shall we not meet again? Shall we not spend our immortal life together? Surely. Surely we have ransomed one another with all this sorrow. Oh, yes. <laughs> the law we broke, the sin here so awfully revealed. Let these alone be in your thoughts. I fear, I fear. 
when we forgot our God, we might have given up all claim to everlasting reunion. But God knows, and he is merciful. He has proved his mercy by giving me this burning torture to wear on my flesh, by sending Chillingworth, and by bringing me here to die this death of triumphant ignominy before the people. Praised be his name. In the final episode of The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, dramatised by Greg Snow, Hester Prynne was played by Deborah Findlay, Roger Chillingworth by Nigel Attany, Arthur Dimsdale by Michael Maloney, and Pearl by Caroline Graham. Governor Bellingham was played by Aubrey Woods, Reverend John Wilson by John Webb, Mistress Cork, Cyril Jenkins, and Mistress Hibbins, Jill Graham. The Deacon, David Holt. Widow Foster, Melinda Walker. The Captain, Eric Allen. And the Servant, Julian Ryan Tutt. Other parts were played by members of the cast. The Scarlet Letter was directed by Tracy Neal. <laughs>